So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're in one of my very favorite portions of Scripture. I love Colossians chapter 3. I love this passage of Scripture because it is powerful but practical. Now, we've just spent the last two chapters really getting the doctrinal foundation for all that we are about to move into now as we go into chapter 3. And let's begin by looking just at the first four verses. Therefore, now remember we have to look back and see what it's there for. What did we just, what did we just talk about at the end of chapter 2? We talked about the fact that we have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, that just subduing the flesh has no real eternal or spiritual value, that it's past tense. We have been buried. We have been raised, that Jesus Christ has paid our penalty. Our certificate of debt was canceled as it was, as he bore it on the cross and literally disarmed the rulers and authorities. So all these things are true. Therefore, because this is true, if you have been been raised up with Christ, past tense, have been already, keep seeking things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You know, the Christian life is lived in two realms, the spirit realm and the physical realm, the created realm, the spiritual realm, the fallen order, the redeemed order. And although we still exist in the fallen world, the things of Christ and his kingdom are to take preeminence in our hearts and minds. Just as we read in these four chapters, the first verse says, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. And that literally means set your heart on things above. Let your, heart affect, your heart's affection delight in those things that are above. So it's dealing with our loves, with our heart. But the second command, set your mind on things above, is talking about our thoughts. How are we supposed to love the Lord? with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it starts with the heart. We have to have our heart's affections set on him, and then our thoughts will follow. He is to become our treasure. So if we keep seeking things above and set our mind on things above, we're going to have our hearts and our minds set on heaven. Matthew 6.33 tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, the things we need for life, will be added unto us. This term um, applies more than a way of thinking. It includes values and loves as well. It could well be translated delight in things above in contrast with the second command, which speaks of values. The first command refers to desires. Since basic desires proceed from the heart, Jesus' words in Mark 7, 15, the NIV correctly inserts the word heart here. The first concern is moral, the second Mental, that's from Richard Melick's commentary. And then N.T. Wright said, with Christ, he has died, he is risen, and he will appear in glory. There is a perfect balance here between the already and the not yet that are so characteristic of Paul's teaching on the Christian life. The new age has dawned and Christians already belong to it. The old age, however, is not yet wound up. And until they die or until the Lord appears again in his second coming, their new life will be a secret truth hidden from view, from others much of the time, often enough from themselves too. 
This next section involves individual and corporate responsibilities as we move into verses 5 and following through 17. But when we think about what verses 1 through 4 set the stage for, it's the focus on the internal life. And when I, my first book was There's Got to Be More, and it was on the spirit-filled life. And when I was approached by Rodman and Holman and said, and they just said, basically, we want you to do a book. What would you do on if you could just choose anything? And I said, oh, spirit-filled life, no doubt. Because I felt like it was a topic that I didn't hear taught a lot. When Steve and I first went to seminary, there was a lot of talk about it. But then it seemed like it kind of, it dwindled away and Christianity became very cerebral. It was all about what you know and how well you know it and how well you can recite it instead of, are you actually living it? But these first four four verses tell us that it's an inner transformation that has to take place in the heart and the mind. And then we're able, we're empowered to change our actions because what we believe, what we think about determines how we act. So if our hearts and minds are set on the Lord, then we're able to move into verse 5 and actually do what he is telling us we're to do. We're to put to death the flesh. We're to realize we're already dead to that old way of life. And we've been given a brand new life. And we are to live that life in Christ and for his glory with our hearts and our minds and our eyes set on him. So let's pick back up in verse 5 and let's read 5 through 9. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Now remember, this is past tense. It's already been done. So if we have died to the flesh, these things should not be a part of our life. We're to take them off. And in fact, if you read this passage in the message translation, it says take them off like an ill-fitting set of clothes. Get rid of them. Because we have a brand new wardrobe with the designer's label in it that we are to put on. So we're to take these off. The ability to die to and take off the old nature are literally dependent upon us fulfilling verses 1 through 4. If we will set our hearts and our minds on Christ and on things above, we'll be able to die to that old nature. And to put to death, you must cut off the source of temptation. Now, when we think about what we're tempted with, we have to recognize it's because we have disordered loves, right? Our hearts are divided. They're not wholly set on him. We don't completely love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, or we wouldn't have divided hearts. We wouldn't have disordered loves. So if we look at our lives and recognize we have a temptation in a certain area or a sin problem, a stronghold, what do we need to do? We need to go to the source, to the temptation. We need to cut it off. We need to eliminate it so that we can die to it, so that we can make what is real and true about us in the spirit realm and actuality in the physical realm. So he talks about immorality. It literally means to engage in sexual immorality of any kind. Impurity. It also included cultic and moral impurity. You remember they lived among temples and pagan idolatry, and there were actually temple prostitutes. So that's part of what that's referring to. Passion, lustful passion, evil desire, it's bad, it's harmful, greed, intense and selfish desire to acquire more and more. And is that not our culture? Constantly telling us if you just had this or if you just looked this way or if you had these clothes or you drive this car, you would be happy. You would be fulfilled. When we know in reality, nothing 
in the physical realm will ever satisfy. Only Jesus satisfies. And when we allow him to love us and we receive that love and we understand we are loved and our our desire for love and significance is met in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we're able to love others out of the overflow. We're able to let this physical stuff fall to to the wayside because it no longer has a hold on us because we're no longer entangled in it or enticed by it because we have a greater love. And his name is Jesus Christ. And we are choosing to live for the kingdom of heaven. And we are to be individuals who God is able to use to bring the kingdom of heaven from heaven to earth in us and through us. And then as we join together corporately, we are to be a body of Christ that is living as citizens of heaven. So we're outposts of heaven wherever we gather together. Every local body of Christ is to be a literal outpost of heaven where we gather together, we encourage one another, we instruct one another, we inspire one another, we pray for one another, and then we go back out to be lights in the darkness to make a difference by taking the gospel everywhere we go because we're not living for this world, we're living for the next. So we're to lay aside all those things that have to do with physical immorality, but also then did you notice he went into the sins of the tongue? (laughs) What did Jesus say about that? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we're angry, if we deal with wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech and we lie to one another, you know, I just, I got to tell you, I caught myself, y'all, this is embarrassing. Somebody asked me a question the other day and I gave a half truth. And I had to go, you know what, I'm sorry, that was not completely true. How embarrassing is that? It's like, where did that come from? out of my heart, because evidently I was trying to protect myself from this person, and I, you know, I wanted to make them think a little better about me than what was actual re- was real, but I had to correct myself immediately, and the Holy Spirit said, whoa, that's not completely true. But how often do we do that? Why? What, what was rearing its ugly head in that moment? My flesh. I was concerned about what this person thought about me, more concerned about what she thought than what he thought and was actually true. But what are we to walk in? The truth. When we put on the whole armor of God, what's the belt? (laughs) It's the belt of truth. And truth can be uncomfortable. Truth truth is sometimes not good for our reputation. (laughs) Sometimes it's a challenge to just walk. Sometimes it's hard to say the truth to someone else because you don't want to hurt them, right? You're trying to protect them. And yet we're to speak the truth. How? In love. In love. Graced and covered in love. That's how the Holy Spirit comes to us. He comes to us in conviction, which is tender and gracious. He's revealing to us where the enemy has a stronghold or where we have a blind spot or there's a motive or an attitude that is not pleasing to the Lord. It's preventing our continued growth in the Spirit and reliance upon Him. And so when He reveals it to us, He's tender and gracious in it. The enemy is the one who condemns us and accuses us and shames us. That is not Jesus Christ. So we must walk in that truth. We must put aside all, any any words that come forth from our mouth are supposed to do what? Build up, encourage, edify, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and you will eat the fruit thereof. We are to speak words of life to others, and as we speak the truth, and as we speak God's word, we are literally imparting life to those that we speak to. Um, N.T. Wright, in his commentary, said, many Christians tend to concentrate on one list or the other. Now, listen, this is so true. One knows of Christian communities that would be appalled at the slightest sexual irregularity but which are nests of malicious intrigue, backbiting, gossip, and bad temper, and conversely of others where people are so concerned to live in untroubled harmony with each other that they tolerate flagrant immorality. We've got to do both. 
It is what comes out of our mouths. It's what we do with our physical bodies because we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus Christ, and our bodies are living temples of the Holy Spirit. We are walking holy of holies, and we do not want to desecrate the temple in which he dwells. So we want to get rid of, die to, take off anything that does not bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. F.F. Bruce said, in short, be in actual practice what you say you are. Because we say we're Christians. So let's, in actual practice, act like Christ. We've talked about the rabbis and their disciples following close enough to have the dust of the rabbi on their clothes. That's how we're to follow Christ. But not only that, you know what challenges me? I want to follow Christ like that. I want him to be my rabbi, my teacher. Because Jesus said, what did he, when he called disciples, what did he say? He didn't say, Study me. He didn't say, read about me. What did he say? Follow me. Follow me. And so that's what he's inviting us to do. He's inviting us to follow him and to live life with him and communion with him and harmony with him and intimacy with him. I want to follow him. But you know what the greatest challenge for me is? It's what Paul said. Follow me as I follow Christ. Can we say that? Are we walking with him so intimately that we really want people to imitate us? as we are imitating Christ. That's, that's what this passage is calling us to. It's calling us to the Christ-like life. And what did he say? He said that we're not to do those things because we're going to see that the wrath of God is coming because of them. Now let's pick back up in verse 10. And you have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man. But Christ is all and in all. He is all that matters. <laughs> so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. There's to be no distinction or division among God's people, among those created in his image. When we come together around tables to study the Word of God, there is no one who is more privileged than another. doesn't matter what your skin color is, what your socioeconomic status is, what your educational level is. We are all equal in Christ because we have nothing to offer apart from Him, and we can do nothing apart from Him. But in Christ, we can do all things that He calls us to, right? So, we fully surrendered knowing there's nothing I have to offer except offering myself as a surrendered vessel. And then anything he does as he fills me and flows through me, he gets all the glory because it's all him. Because I really literally cannot, I can't take my ne next breath apart from him. So I'm completely dependent upon him. So consequently, I have nothing to offer you apart from Christ. But the good news is in him, I have everything you need <laughs> because he is everything we need. So we die to all of those distinctions. We die to the 
competition and the comparing that our world is constantly trying to draw us into because there is no distinction among God's people. We are in Christ. The humanity which has been straightened out according to the perfect model, that of Christ, has no excuse for such behavior. The standard now is the life of heaven. They do not behave like that there. Wow. We're to behave like those who are already in heaven. Heaven is to come down through us and in us. So you see there's five things here that really many people contrast these five with the five things of immorality and sin. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, greed. But what are we to put on? A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That first list of five sins is what? It's all about self. It's all about lust. It's all about greed. It's all about taking care of me. What is this list? It's the character of Christ. We're to have a heart of compassion, to show mercy and concern, to lament, to weep with the Ukrainians, to grieve over children who have been abused, women who are trapped in sex trafficking. If we're literally... If we have the heart of Jesus and if we ask him, Lord, see through me, let me see the world as you see it, our hearts will be broken as his is over sin because sin destroys. That's what the thief does. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We will be kind. It means to be beneficial for someone, showing loving affection, public proclamation of honor. Remember the scripture that says, in honor prefer one another? Humility, to have a humble attitude, to be servile, to serve others. You know what makes a beautiful marriage? When two people love Jesus and because of that love try to outserve the other, which is exactly what God has called us to, to love each other with the love of Christ. Gentleness, to be gentle, pleasant, mild, that's contrast with harshness. And sometimes I can be harsh, I can be quick to speak instead of quick to hear. To be patient, it's a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune. To be long-suffering, which is what God's like. He's patient and long-suffering, the scripture tells us. And then the practical application of these virtues is we're going to bear with one another. We're going to forgive one another. We're going to love one another. It all gets down to love. And Galatians 5, 6 tells us that Faith works through love, that our faith will work itself out as we love the Lord and as we love each other. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is what? Love. Love is the greatest. Um, I wanted to read to you Romans 13, 9 and 10. For this, you shall not commit murder, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And we know that when we look at the Ten Commandments. The first four are about loving God. The next six are about loving our neighbor. And if we will love God and love our neighbor, we will fulfill the command of God. Love triumphs. Love is the greatest. Love is what we're called to. So if I'm loving my husband, I'm wanting to view life through his eyes and I'm wanting to love him and serve him. If I'm loving my children, I'm wanting to do that. Our son and his wife just took in three foster children, little girls, siblings, sisters, 
8, 6, and 5. They are connected with the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home, and they've gone through foster care training, and they had one little boy for a brief time, and now he's with his, his forever adoptive home. And they really weren't open to fostering right now. They have five children already. Um, and so, and their oldest is 13, the baby is two. So they were thinking, you know, maybe we need to do a little reprieve. We'll provide respite care for other families, which means like, you'll help babysitter, you'll keep kids for a weekend, that kind of thing. And so they had done some of that. But this kind of all call went out as a text message blast Sunday afternoon that these three little girls, it was an emergency situation. They needed placement for them. And so Grandma Melissa prayed about it and felt like, you know what, how can we say no? I mean, as believers, there's this great need, and we've got children. They're in that age range. They both felt like they should say yes. They said yes, thinking, you know what, they don't typically like to have more than six children in a family. And since we already have five, that's probably going to put us off the list. (laughs) Well, Monday about noon, they got a phone call saying, hey, you've been chosen. Will you take the three children? We're bringing them over this afternoon. So Melissa was running around trying to get up everything that they needed. And fortunately, there's a great ministry in Murfreesboro that helps foster families. And so she was able to get some things. She hit Walmart to get some other things for the girls. And anyway, they wanted to be ready. And so they were excited to get these three girls. And anyway, they have been incorporated into their home. The eight-year-old is actually in their eight-year-old's a class at school. The six-year-old is in their six-year-old's class at school. The five-year-old is going to get to go to preschool at their church. It's just kind of falling into place, and they just, their hearts have been broken because of what these little girls have already experienced. And it breaks my heart. But as believers, how can our hearts not be moved? How can we not say, yes, we'll take these precious children into our homes? How can we not say, yes, I will give to this mission endeavor? How can we not say, yes, I will go and serve on the mission field? Short-term missions, long-term missions, God, yes, I will go into the inner city and serve. Yes, I will come alongside a single mom and, and help her and encourage her and help financially in any way that I can and just be there to be support for her. How can we not see where God is moving and working all around us and see the needs and not respond? If the love of Christ is in our hearts, we're not going to be focused on self. And when we begin to pour ourselves out for Christ and for his kingdom and the advancement of his kingdom, that's where the joy is found. (laughs) Not that it's not sometimes hard. Not that you won't have to make sacrifices, but there's incredible joy and fulfillment in getting in on what God is doing. And that's what he's calling us to here. He's calling us to work and to live in love. Now let's look at 15 through 17. Back in Colossians chapter 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wow. When we put on the love of Christ, his peace will rule in our hearts. And it means that peace is to be the umpire. It's it's to be in charge. The peace of Christ is to guard and to rule our lives. And that's what Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us, is it not? It's kind of a worn-out passage. We hear it so much, we don't really grasp its truth and that it's a command so that if we're not following and obeying that command, we're walking in sin to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your what? Your hearts and your minds. What are we to do? Set our hearts on things above, set our mind on things above, and then his peace will do what? (laughs) Rule 
in our hearts. We will have the peace of God and we will walk in calm and complete dependence upon the Lord regardless of the circumstances. We look to him to sustain us, to strengthen us, to empower us, to grant us wisdom. N.T. Wright, once again, the center of Christian living is grateful worship, which is to affect whatever we do. Since all things have been created through Christ and also in principle redeemed through him, Jesus, the true divine and human image of God, the one whose cross secured our reconciliation, is the reason for our gratitude and the one through whom we can now offer that gratitude to the Father himself. We are to do it all in his name. This is the principle through which we filter all decisions. Will this action or word honor Christ? Will I be actually reflecting him? Every act and every word are to be an act of worship. Did you read that? Whatever you do in word or deed. Now, what did we just look at up here? Take off the old nature. They were all deeds, right? Of immorality and lust and greed and words, anger, slander, abusive speech. In word or deed, we're to do it all to honor Jesus Christ. All because of what he has done for us. You know, I was talking to uh, my mom and I got to go visit Lindsay's family this weekend. Their uh, oldest daughter, Ivy, was in a play. She was in The Sound of Music, and she was Marta, the second youngest of the Von Trapp children. And they did almost all the music of, I think, all of it, if not almost all of it. It was a long play, but it was fabulous. We were blown away by the talent, and it was such She's in the fifth grade, so it was such a thrill for her to get to be a part of a high school play with all the big kids. And it's a Christian school. It was just an awesome opportunity for her. And so as we were sitting there, and I was sitting beside my mom and Lindsay and Ryan's mom and um, her sister, and we were just watching Ivy, and I was just overwhelmed with gratitude. Do you ever just get overwhelmed sometimes? I've been really weepy lately, just (laughs) grateful for life and for God's goodness and for the cross and for being able to get into what he's doing and for fellowshipping with you women and all the blessings that we have that Christ has provided for us. I've just, and maybe it's because I've been studying this passage and I'm wanting to be a person of, of gratitude. I want words of gratitude to come out of my mouth, but whatever we do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks So we do it in his name, and we give thanks in the midst of it. And you will find your heart's going to be full when you begin to do that. It will overflow with gratitude because of all the Lord has done for us. And so Lindsay and I were talking over the weekend, and they had asked her to speak to the college girls about modesty. That's not her favorite topic because it tends toward legalism. And so we were talking about how it's the heart that reflects by what we choose to wear, how we choose to dress. And it, it lets us know not only what we think of ourselves and if we're cheapening our own bodies and how we are and the attention we're trying to get, but it literally is all about the heart. And it's a reflection of our love for the Lord and our love for our neighbor. Because in everything, word or deed, how I dress falls under that. I'm to do it all to honor Christ and to give thanksgiving. So we were talking, about how do, you, how do you help those young women grasp the fact that if they will fall in love with Jesus, they're not going to want to attract undue attention to their physical bodies. They're going to want to draw attention to Jesus, to his wholeness and goodness and purity and love and grace and the fruit of the spirit should be a part of their lives that's what we should want to be clothed in so it it goes to the heart and then I got to talk to my nephew Garrett and some of you have 
heard me share stories about Garrett through the years because he is a young man who's just incredibly brilliant. He has a PhD in philosophy. He's a professor in one of the universities in Tampa and has been working really hard toward tenure. So he is today presenting before the faculty. And he is actually on staff there, but they also had to open the job up to people from outside. And so two other people made it down. There's now three people that they're actually considering for this tenured position. And so I was talking to him on Sunday. Mom and I called him on our way back just to talk to him and pray for him. And I told him, I said, Garrett, are you willing for God to say no? Are you willing for him to say, this is not what I have for you? Even though it's been your goal and it's something you've been working toward very hard what if God has something else and he said you know Ashley his wife just a couple of weeks ago found a little leather band that she gave him he said I've got it on my right wrist wrist and it has one word on it surrender surrender because God's uniquely gifted him and God's using him on that campus I mean, he's discipling students he's God's used him profoundly. He's one of those popular, I don't know how I'm bragging, he's one of the most popular professors on campus. His classes are larger than anybody's. So he's got a lot on his side. But I told him, I said, Garrett, I just want you to know something. When you go in there to present, do it as unto the Lord. You're not there to impress those people. You're not competing with anybody for this job. You are doing it as unto the Lord, and you are surrendering, and you're saying, Lord, let your kingdom come. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then you trust Jesus that if he says no here, he has another door that he will open and a place of effective service for you because you have surrendered to him. Now, what's good for Garrett is good for us. What is it that you've placed as a goal? What do you have that you feel like you have to have to be happy? What is it that you're you're saying, if I just had this or if this would just take place or if this relationship was good... I would be good. Are you willing to give it to the Lord? Are you willing to hold whatever it is like this? And say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And I've had to live a long time (laughs) to get to that point. But God allows us to go through difficult times so we can look back and see, God, if I'd gotten what I wanted then, I wouldn't be where I am now. And everything that you allowed beforehand was preparation for where you have me now. And look what I would have missed If I had not surrendered and not listened to your voice and been obedient to your word. And so I want your perfect will because you are working on earth to bring about other people into the kingdom to advance your kingdom until Jesus comes back. And I want to fulfill your purpose and plan for my life. And whatever that may be, I want to be willing for you to be in control. I don't want to tell you how I want it to work out. I want to surrender. That's what we're talking about in this passage. It is death to the flesh. It's the crucified life so that we walk in resurrection power in the spirit. We're walking in the spirit of Christ as we live our life. Every morning, I'm dying to my flesh, denying myself, taking up my cross. This is a symbol of death and following Jesus. It means today, Lord, I want your kingdom to come and your perfect will to be done. And Father, I pray that right now for Garrett. I don't even know what he's doing right now, but if he's presenting Spirit of the living God, I'm asking you to surround him with favor as a shield to bless him, empower him, flow through him. I pray that you will use him to point others to you. But God, ultimately, we're asking your perfect will to be done. God, I don't want him there if you've got something else for him. And if he he gets that tenured position, I feel like he's going to feel tied to it. So Lord, your perfect will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And for those of you out there thinking about your whatever that is, I'm going to go back to Corey Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place. And if you know anything about her, you know that she and her family hid Jews during World War II, and they were turned in by an informant, and her father died. She and her sister Betsy ended up at Ravensbrück concentration camp, and she had a really godly father, strong Christian parents, both of her parents. Her mother saw the best in everything and the best in everyone. It was constantly ministering to people and taking food to the poor and helping those. And she had taken food to a young mother whose baby had died in childbirth. And Corey and her sister had gone with her to deliver this food and for her to minister to this family. And Corey was so distraught because she had never seen death before. And she was so upset by it. Listen to what, was, what she said, how she described it in her book. But that night, as her father stepped through the door into their bedroom, he always came in to tuck them in bed each night, I burst into tears. I need you, I sobbed. You can't die. You can't. Beside me on the bed, Nolly, her sister, sat up. We went to see Mrs. Hoog, she explained. Corey didn't eat her supper or anything. Father sat down on the edge of the narrow bed. Corey, he began gently. When you and I go to Amsterdam on the train, when do I give you your ticket? I sniffed a few times considering this. Why, just before we get on the train. Exactly. And our wise Father in heaven knows when we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him. When the time comes that some of us will have to die, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. Whatever we do, in word or deed, may we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Every day, an offering of worship. Every day, surrendering to his will every day seeing his kingdom come and his will being done every day glorifying him and that will bring you absolute eternal joy and purpose